we're, well, we're in the middle now of a series on um, Christian warfare, and we are uh, springing out of Ephesians chapter 6, which is, I guess, uh, the classic Christian passage in the Bible on spiritual warfare, the nature of what it means to be, um, as a Christian, in the midst of serious conflict, in the midst of opposition that is felt um, and that is experienced in a very real way. And um, we're looking at that in order to try and to be equipped so that we are not found wanting in the day of evil, as the Bible, as the Bible calls it. But that we walk in all that God wants for us, which is victory and triumph. And um, the, when the Bible talks about victory and triumph, it's not talking about um, a life without problems. It's not talking about something idealistic. It's very gutsy, very gritty. Um, it, it's messy. But the idea is that we come through that victoriously. That's the nature of Christian victory. And um, we read it from Ephesians chapter 6. So if you'd like to turn to that in the Bible, if you have a Bible with you. If not, it should come up on the screen in a moment. Yes, great, fantastic. Thank you very much. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, thank you for the Bible. As we look to unpack it now, we pray for your powerful help, that hearts, minds, lives would be pierced, will be impacted, um, will be operated on by yourself. We pray, go to work through these words, please, Lord. We just say we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in you and your work through the very simple act of preaching. We believe you do miraculous things. So we commit this time to you. Amen. We've been looking at how spiritual warfare is hand-to-hand combat. It's not... It's not Combat as we see it in these days where someone in a room somewhere um, via satellite presses a button and drops a bomb on 20 people. It's not like that. It is up close. It's, um, it's hand-to-hand. And as such, an image of wrestling is a much more helpful image to understand Christian warfare than an image of modern-day warfare. And we looked at three things that would tend to happen in a wrestling match. Um, one is that there's an attempt to get something, your opponent in a hold, that you might paralyse them, they can't move anymore. The other is that you will look to strike them in order to disorientate, confuse and hurt them. And the third is that you will pull the nastiest faces you can to try and intimidate them. And so through it all, what we have as a Christian understanding of warfare is that Satan, in the Bible describes as a real spirit personality who is malicious and against God and against God's people. Satan's Aim is to either paralyze you as a Christian, so you can no longer move and go forward with God, or it's to just hurt you, 
confuse and disorientate you so you don't know which way's up. Or it's just downright intimidate you so you never try and do anything for Jesus. You think, I don't want to go out there. And you just kind of hold up and try and survive. That's the aim of Satan in spiritual warfare. When you, when you become a Christian, as well as getting a new friend in God, you get a new enemy. Previously, it's not that Satan liked you before. It's just that the Bible says you were in his kingdom before. And so in that sense, you weren't a threat. Whereas when you let Christ break into the prison of your, of your heart, in that sense, and set you free and, and take you into his kingdom, from that point on, Satan's attention is on you as a believer. And his aim is to do these various things I mentioned earlier. In order to keep you from being effective for Jesus and keep you from bearing fruit. The last two weeks we've looked at two elements of the armour that we wear in order to become effective. The first being truth. That we've got to, we need to know the truth. Because Jesus said when you know the truth it will set you free. And coming, springing out of knowing the truth, living a truthful life. Not being a, not being a person of falsehood. Not, not, not deceiving. Having the candour or the honesty of a child. That's godly. To be straightforward. To say what you mean and to mean what you say. As the Bible says, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's powerful spiritual warfare. The truth of the gospel so impacts you that you begin to live a truth-filled, truthful life. And then lastly, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. Whereby we understand as Christians, it's vital that we understand that our righteousness is a gift. Wasn't that amazing? What a message. For us just being washed in the wonder, the simplicity of it. That we're not those who would look down on anyone else as if we were better than them. That self-righteousness is an ugly, ungodly thing. And that actually a Christian is no better than anybody else. But by God's grace has been gifted with righteousness. Through faith, through simply believing in Christ, God clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. So we're right with God because of Jesus. And to just live there and let that impact the way you relate to other people, understand other people, and we're um, warned against viewing people with contempt or thinking somehow that we're better, but just recognising that is not the case. Jesus is the only good man to have ever lived. That's the gospel. That's the point. <laughs> that is the point. There's two Adams. The first one disobeyed. And we are his children. And then the new Adam came, who obeyed. And to become a Christian, to become his children. And all the rewards, all the rewards associated with his obedience, given to us freely. To stand in that will keep you effective for Christ and defended against the evil one. Today we're looking at this quite unusual phrase that we find here in, um, in verse 15. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This was kind of the one I didn't want to preach. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, it just seems strange to me. Um, um, but here we are, we've got it, and praise God, I now understand it, so that's good. Um, so th- don't listen to the rumours that I don't prepare sermons, I do. And as a result, and then I end up actually understanding what I'm preaching, which always helps. So, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, what does that mean? I want to unpack it for you. First of all, what, is the, what does the gospel mean? The gospel means an announcement. It's an announcement of good news. It's a declaration. It's really good news. In the old days, when a, when a Caesar 
was coronated, when a Caesar was, was revealed, a new Caesar, there was a pronouncement, it was called the Gospel. Gospel of Caesar Augustus. We've got a new Caesar. We've got a new king. And it was proclaimed as a good thing. It was good, good news. And so it was language that the, the Bible writers borrowed, really, from, the, from those days. And this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What they're saying is this. The king has come. That the king who really rules over all things has become flesh and has made his dwelling among us. Born in a stable, not very illustrious or uh, expected, nevertheless, the true king has come. It's, it's a declaration of good news. It's so important you understand this. I, I do worry. I worry for my own heart sometimes as a Christian that I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know if any of you worry about yourself. I worry about myself that sometimes I don't get it. That I'm, I still think, fundamentally, it's about me, me proving myself to God in some way. That's not what the gospel's about. That's really not good news. If it's about me showing God I'm good enough, man, I'm in trouble. I mean, I'm really in trouble. I don't know about you, I'm really in trouble. And uh, that's bad news. That's not good news. Imagine that. Good news, guys, is a really holy God who's never done anything wrong, who dwells in unapproachable light, who can't stand sin. And your job is to show that you are good enough for him. Should we celebrate? I mean, let's sing a song. Let's sing a song about the fact that we need to make our way into the presence of a holy God with all of our sin. It's not going to work. It's going to be really quiet. The room's going to get really empty during that song. Everyone's going to slip out. Why? Because you're going to start realising it's not going to work. I'm in trouble, but I'm in trouble. The gospel is this. God has taken all of that into account and has come down and rescued us. God has taken all that into account and given his son as the king to be born. And it's the gospel of peace. Now, you've got to understand that throughout the Bible, different words are used. Sometimes it's the, it's the, the glorious gospel. Sometimes it's the gospel of grace. Here is the gospel of peace because it links with this readiness, which we'll look about at in a minute. But I want to help you understand, what is the gospel? Why is it called the gospel of peace? Because it means this. Through the gospel, you are at peace with God. God accepts you because you are in Christ. God welcomes you because you are in Christ. The hostility that was there has gone. And it's a very, very real hostility. I'll read to you. Maybe we'll look at Romans, the next slide. This is, this is a description of the kind of hostility that what existed between mankind and God. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's what we do naturally. We suppress the truth of God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. It goes on. Click. Does it not go on? It does go on. For although they knew God, that's us humans, although we, through creation, you know there's a God, they didn't honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. They started worshipping people. And birds and animals and creeping things. <laughs> Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. That's the wrath of God. He gives us up to it. You want that? Have it. 
for the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, the created, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That's how it's described in Romans. In Ephesians, it's described like this. Have a look at the next slide. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. By nature, we are children of wrath. The, the wrath of God is on us. So the Bible teaches again and again and again. So we're not at peace with God. He's angered by the way we think, the way we live, the things we say, because he made us to be glorious. He made us to know him and reflect his glory. He made us to, he made us to represent him on the earth. And instead we walk around bigging ourselves up and putting other people down and all the stuff we do, following the lusts of our flesh. And it angers the heart of God. It grieves and hurts the heart of God. But the gospel, the gospel is the gospel of peace. Why? Because with that as the backdrop, what does God do? What's his response? He gives his only son. It's incredible. To take the wrath that we deserve in himself and the cross. And then to be raised from the dead. To overcome all the judgment and all the sin and all the darkness. So we might be reconciled to God. If you are a believer, genuinely, You've turned away from your sin. You've put your trust in Christ. You are at peace with God. You are welcomed into the presence of God. And as a result of peace with God, you should live in the peace of God. They're different things. Peace with God is an objective truth. It's done. In Christ, you're made right. Peace of God is the subjective experience of that which you can then live out of. I want to ask you, do you live out of a place of peace? Or are you restless and anxious and troubled more than you are peaceful because the, the, the gospel of peace comes to bring you to a place of peace it comes to bring you to a place where you can live in a, in a place of genuine rest battery yeah swap or it's got a battery should I just carry on can you hear me they're recording on the iPhone here so, because obviously something else isn't working. Not, I wasn't being flashed, I was just saying. You see, if you are unsure of the gospel, if, you are, you've got to get this. If you have not got it, if you've not understood that through Christ's death, you have been made right with God, then as, a, as someone who calls himself a believer but doesn't really get it, you will live in a way that is unsure. Your conscience will be constantly troubled, weak, battling with complicated things that it doesn't need to be. You'd have no assurance of God's goodness and smile over your life. No sense of the kindness of God towards you. You won't be living in that. And when that's the case, you don't. it's really hard to find ground to stand on and defend. You're running here and you're running there. And when it comes to warfare, you're getting hit wherever you go. And so that's why a firm understanding of the gospel of peace will lead you to a place of real readiness, which is what we're going to be looking at today. King David was assured 
that God was with him and for him. And he said this, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. What is that? He knows God's with him, so he's like, well, I've got this army arrayed against me. All right, well, we'll go at them. Why? God's with me. Look at that wall there. I mean, you can use this as figurative language. You know, I'm not saying go and climb walls. But, you know, there are things that are just like, how am I going to get over that? By my God. What? Well, because he's with me. He's for me. He's interested. He's made promises to me. He's accessible so I can pray, walk with him through. He's never going to forsake me. This is the good news. This is the gospel of peace. This is what... This should be the driving engine of a believer's life. It's very important. This is the heart of Emmanuel. God with us. God with me, for me. He's behind me. He's got my back. He's inside me by his spirit. And so there's a readiness that begins to come. You think, oh, okay, so it's right with God. Okay, so my conscience can be at peace. All right, so I haven't got to live under anxiety. Okay, so he's got my back. So he's got good plans for me. So he'll never test me beyond what I can bear. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good, Christian. It's all good. Okay, what are we going to do then? Right, okay, you ready? Yeah, of course you're ready. Why? Because you know you've got peace with God. It brings a readiness, which is very, very important. Because if you're going to enter battle, you've got to be Ready. That's why the soldiers have the bugle call. The bugle call is, oh, we know that, that means battle, so you get, you get everything ready. Why, why? We've got to be ready. Why? Because there's the bugle call is when we're about to go into battle. So we've got to be ready. That's what the bugle call is for. It's like when you see a boxing match and you see the man enters the ring and, you know, you've got all the crowds and you've got the officials and you've got, you know, the kind of the coach and the manager, but you've got the, the, the fighter and you see him, he's just pacing up and down, pacing up and down. You can just utterly focused. Why? The battle is about to commence. Well, so we've got to be ready. You're not going to start signing, they don't start signing autographs at that point. That happens afterwards. They don't start having chit-chats. No, look, they're utterly focused. Why? The battle's about to commence. You need to be ready. It's what you see in an army training school. When you, when, you, when you watch programs and documentaries about army training schools, they're constantly trying to produce the people that are ready. Physically ready. So you, you've got to march through the night, guys. So everyone isn't suddenly, oh, you're joking. I can't. No, they're ready. They've marched through the night many times. We've got, to, we've got to make 20 miles in the next 24 hours. If we don't, we're going to miss the enemy. We want, it, we want to ambush them. Okay, physically, I'm ready. Psychologically, I've done it before. I'm ready. It's about getting people ready. This, this is the readiness, spiritually, that God is wanting to put in believers. It's sleeping with your dagger under your pillow. It's that kind of mentality as a Christian. It's why armies have scouts and spies. They send some people ahead. Go and find out the movements of the enemy. Where are they? We want to make sure we're on to. We want to make sure they're going that way. If they're going that way, we can head them off. It's why armies have scouts and spies. So they can be informed. Now we're informed. We're ready. It's readiness. It's the planning and the innovation and the coming together that goes into a D-Day operation. I mean, if you ever read military history, the, the, the pl- I mean, the plans for the D-Day operation, as you can imagine, were incredibly complex. Well, we've got to be ready. Ready for every eventuality. Now, as it, as it happened, it was very, very messy. Because there's always surprises. But we were as ready as we are going to be. That is the heart of God. He doesn't want us unaware, dopey, Naive, idealistic, half-hearted. He wants the right people in the right place. Everyone knowing their role and their function. He wants us to know we're doing something. We're here for a purpose. We're about something. We know our aims. We know our goals. We're together in it. This is to be the feel of God's people. 
There's two main ways of exercising and expressing readiness, I believe. The first is in this, in simply standing your ground. That you're ready to stand and defend whatever needs defending. You probably don't know this, but in boxing, your feet are almost as important as your hands. Even though primarily it's a sport where you're, well, it is a sport where you're punching people. You're not kicking people if you're disqualified. You're punching. So you think, well, it's all about the hands. Well, actually, no. When you train in boxing, they're talking about your feet. They want your feet positioned right. They want the distance between them right. Too close, you're going to be off balance. If, if, if your feet aren't parallel, but they're doing that, you're in trouble again. It's, a lot of it's about balance. Some of us were trained once. We had a kind of Cuban guy training us. He was more of a dancer than a boxer. And the way he taught, taught, trying to teach us how to move. A lot of emphasis on the feet. I was surprised by it. But you see, in battle, you've got to be able to, this is our ground. We're going to defend it. We're not going to move from it. So let's position ourselves well. Let's be ready. Okay, what's coming in? We're going to defend it. We're not going to give any ground. This is the first thing, and it's very, very important. We must know what our ground is. What do you believe? We must know. What, what, what do we, as a Christian, what do I believe? Because I heard this Christian say this, and this Christian say this, and it, I'm not sure if it's the same. What do I believe? We need to know so that we can know what we're going to live for, and if necessarily, die for. What, what are the things? So I'm not moving on that. You need to know what they are. Maybe a few of the things would be things, there's a massive attack on truth. That any, I mean, there's some of the songs we were singing, you're thinking, man alive, this is so countercultural. What was the new one? What's the chorus, Andy, for the new one that you introduced today? Is it here? Yes, the worst of the chorus. That is very countercultural. The truth, what do you mean? Your truth? No, the truth. What do you mean? Your truth? No, the truth. I mean the truth, the truth. The truth, yeah, the truth. Well, what's my truth? No, 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 the truth. Gospel truth. That's hugely under attack. People are really happy for you to believe this and I to believe this, but we, let's not do all that objective truth stuff. That is, that's, that's, that's kind of, um, that's no longer relevant. Oh, it's massively relevant. It's massively relevant. So that's one thing. Another thing would be the idolizing of relationships. It's a strange thing. God loves relationships. Really important. But relationships at any cost. So relationships at cost of truth. I should really be telling you this, but it, it might upset you, so I won't. I should really be sharing Jesus with you, but if I did, then you might not like me anymore. And I'm really, I really like our friendship. It's kind of an idolatry thing. That's, there's a satanic strategy going on there. It is, an, it is a worshipping of relationships. So those relationships never become what God intended, which is relationships that, are, that involve speaking the truth in love. We've got to be aware. You've got to be ready. So you can take your stand. Oh, okay. I'm not going not to move on that. The plague of entitlement. My rights. It's my life. It's a really, very much a Western... It's a, it's a rich world thing. If you go to poor parts of the world, people just do not think like that. Uh, I, I might have shared this with you before, but it was an amazing moment on a Michael Palin documentary, I think it was in Mauritania or Niger. There's a woman who used to be a nomad, but she now had settled, but she lived in a corrugated shed, probably about, I don't know, six foot by six foot. And Michael Palin said, what makes you happy? And she was utterly confused by the question. I mean, she was, you could, she was like, what do you mean? You know, she just was, and she stopped and thought about it. She obviously was not part of her, and she just said, well, whatever God gives the humility. 
so foreign. And we live in a world of fighting for our rights. So there's an area there we've got to look at because it, it creeps into the Christian life, and it's not even that we. It's not even you know that we kind of. How can I put it? Um, that we hold true ourselves, and uh, but we, even in our own lives, we find man, I'm giving ground here, left, right, and centre to ways of thinking that are really just ugly, or the skewing of the skewing of human rights. It, it, it becomes a really skewed thing. So I know human rights are a great thing. You know, someone's being abused, and the, you know, the human rights. Let's lift them out of that. Let's stand up and speak up for them. Fantastic. But the skewing of human rights. So. In the end, that those who don't have a voice get killed in the name of rights. Talking about the unborn. Just don't get a chance to speak up for themselves. Well, in the name of rights. Well, it's my right to do this. What about? See, and we've got to be clear. Well, what do we think about that? Well, God, God says a lot. God has a lot to say about those who don't have a voice. The oppressed. This is, this is huge stuff. Sobering stuff. It's all rooted in Romans 1. So we're called to stand on revealed biblical truth. That's why we've got a bookshop out there as well. I want to commend that bookshop to you. We've, we've got a load, of, a load. I mean, you, you name it, there's books on, on stuff out there now. OCD, depression. I mean, the, we've got a load of stuff out there now. You've got a, good Bible books, Bible truth. I want you to know what you think so you can stand. So that you can resist external pressure. One of the saddest stories in the Bible is the story of Pontius Pilate, who when Jesus was brought to him, he knew Jesus was innocent. I mean, read John 18 and 19. It's heartbreaking. Pilate, he, he know, he's, numbers of times he says, I find no guilt in him, and they're crucifying, crucifying. And he goes back and interviews Jesus, and he's just he's shocked by the sheer humility and authority of the man. And then in the end, Jesus says, I came to testify to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? That's, that's where peer pressure, you give into it again and again and again, external pressure again, you end up saying, what is truth? That's the fruit. The Lord is wanting to prepare us so that we are ready to stand. And say, well, I know that this is true. It's the word of God. And I'm not going to give any ground on it in my life. Those that I'm responsible for. I'm going to speak up for these things. We need to have a willingness to stand up and be counted. If not, we'll be defeated. We'll be defeated. We will become utterly irrelevant. We will become completely irrelevant. Even if we still meet here and sing and enjoy ourselves, we'll be irrelevant. Because we just caved in again and again and again and again and again. And never took our place in the front line and in the battles of the day. Which brings us on to the second thing, which is about mobility. They're standing your ground... And then there's mobility. Let me read to you Martin Lloyd-Jones. He preached this in the 1950s or the 1960s. Listen to this. He says, uh, we must not be slow. We must not be heavy-footed. There must be no dragging of the feet. There's nothing which is so fatal to successful progress as a sluggish, lifeless Christian. Ask the average man in the street why he does not come to a place of worship, why he's not a Christian, and you'll find that the answer he is most likely to give you is that it is all so dull and so dead. He says there's nothing in it, no life. And of course there's much to justify what he says. You have but to compare and contrast a typical sample of worldly people 
with a typical sample of Christian people to see the basis on which he makes his statement. Look at the enthusiasm and the excitement of people who watch the football on a Saturday afternoon in the winter. Or the people who go to the races. Listen to the shouting and excitement. Look at those people who go after their sports or whatever they're interested in. They want to be there in time. (laughs) They want the best seats. Why is the front row always empty? Just look. Apart from Johnny's feet. Why is the front row? Getting there, yeah. Now, I'm not saying they're the best seats. I'm not but what what is that? There are churches in the world where people run in to get What's the mentality? It's a funny mentality, isn't it? They want the sport to go on and on. They want it to finish. They're disappointed when it finishes. Contrast that with Christian people who seem to think they're doing something wonderful by going to a place of worship on a Sunday morning. They're not quite sure whether they'll go or not and when they wake up in the morning, but at last, as a matter of duty, they decide they'll go, hoping the service won't be too long. It's not that the position. Do we give the impression that when we come to our places of worship that we are doing the most wonderful and thrilling thing in the world? Are we alive? Are we rejoicing? How do we compare with these other people? A staid, lifeless Christian is a denial in many respects, of the gospel at its most glorious point. To be heavy-footed, slow-moving, lethargic, having to be whipped up and roused constantly and urged to do this and that instead of running to it and rejoicing in it is a sad misrepresentation of Christianity. Let every man examine himself. Are we that? Are we lethargic and heavy-footed? Are we stuck? Are we stuck in our ways? Are we stuck in our ways? Have we become irrelevant? Is our mentality one of holding up and hiding away? What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 9? Listen to how Paul describes his lifestyle in 1 Corinthians 9. We have a look on the slide. Though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I've become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I'm not under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. There's an urgency, a willingness, an enthusiasm, a delight in, fine, I'll adapt. What's it going to mean to reach these people? Fine, I'll, what is it? Fine. Circumcision? Fine. Timothy, here we come. Job done. Let's go. That's his mentality. Why? Because you've got to win people. This should be a release of creativity, innovation, resources and energy for God's kingdom through the church. Absolutely. It's, we, we should give our best to the church. Why? Because Jesus gave his best for the church. Yeah. Laid down his life for Jesus thinks the church is worthy enough of laying his life down for. Jesus thinks the church is worthy enough of marrying forever. How can we despise the church? How can we have something in our hearts that's kind of, mm, yeah, okay, a bit of church, but no, it's... It's a, the church is God's plan A for reaching the world. It's not just someone I'll go along there on a Sunday. No, it's, it's what you are part of. I'm a member of a, I'm a, member of a body. I, I'm interdependent. I depend on you. You depend on me. I need you. You need me. I'm not doing my own thing. I, wanna, I want you to, you know, I am not doing my own thing as a Christian. I want you to know that from me. I am not. I need you. I need you. I come here often... I remember, often would probably be an exaggeration. 
But if I said rarely, that would be the other way. So in between often and rarely, I come here, I want to be honest, I come here and when I leave, I just feel totally different. Why? You. If I came here by myself, it wouldn't be the same. (laughs) Hanging out in the hall for a couple of hours. (laughs) So it must be you. It must be you. So isn't it Jesus? Yeah, but he lives inside of me when I'm by myself. He has given me you. Myself and Davina. We are so encouraged, personally, aren't we? By you. We love our gospel community. We love it. We love our twos and threes. We love it. We need them. I need you. We need one another. It's God's economy. It's God's plan. It's the purpose of God. It's his church. It's beautiful. And new covenant people should look like fueled, galvanized, initiative-taking people because the Spirit of God lives in them. And they've got it. They're about Jesus. They're about Christ. That's what he comes to do. In us. So we, can, so we get moving. We're part of a bigger thing. And we're able to march in time and together. So here's another thing. I submit, my, I submit what I am individually. I submit it to the corporate. I submit it to the church. What I have been gifted by God, I, I submit it and I want it to be channeled through the church. Yeah, I wanna, what I'm saying is I want to march in step with you guys. Because we're doing something together. So I want to find, what's, okay, where we go? Okay, right, I mean, yeah, I want to march, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be the guy who's kind of like, no, no, I want to do my own sort of little moves, you know, no, I want to, I want to march in step with you. That was cool, wasn't it? I want to march, I want to, I want to march in step with you. It's a big deal. I, I don't want to be the maverick. Don't want to. I want to submit what I am to the church. I want to move with the church. Because that's what Jesus is doing. I will build my church. That's what he's doing. So we, there's a re- I'm, a, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm there, my twos and tweets. I'm there. Gospel community. I'm, there. I'm here. I'm, and I'm here. I'm not just here physically. I'm here. Why? Because this is what I'm about. That's what Jesus has brought me into. That's what he's purchased you for. This is it. Look around. Funny old bunch, isn't we? It's okay. It's okay. Jesus is beautifying us and making us something incredible. So we can give ourselves to one another. You might have to lay down your own agenda. You put, oh, I'm coming to church because I want, I want to be part of the church that does this, this, and this, and this, this. Well, I don't know. We may or we may not do that. But there's, there's something we're going for together. You might have to lie, lay down your own little personal thing. We're to, be, we're to look increasingly mature, but, but bubbling with the life of God. In it, aware of the bigger picture, we're part of something big. We're ready. We're ready. This is a call for wholehearted sign-up, and it's a, it's a message to those of you that aren't Christians. You're thinking, what's it about? It's about wholehearted sign-up to Jesus. He's enlisting you as a soldier, among other things, adopting you as a son, and all of that. But he's enlisting you as a soldier to march in time. That's the call. So when you say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to turn from my sin and put my trust in you and I'm going to get baptised, what, what now? Right, well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the body of Christ. We can do life together. 
We're going to serve Christ together. We're going to bear fruit together. Amen? Amen. We're going to send people out and support them together. Pray for them. Get behind. We're going to do that. We're going to resource that. We're going to reach the nations by the grace of God. We're going to reach this area by the grace of God. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're about. That's what we're doing. And we do it readily and alertly. Why? Because we're in a warfare situation. And God doesn't want to sluggish. <laughs> I want to finish by making an observation. Apparently, around half of the homeless population in the UK, around half are ex-forces either in one of the military forces. At one point in their life, they would have been honed and disciplined and full of purpose. Now, I don't want to assume that every homeless person has lost that. I don't want to assume that. I don't know the story. But I would say I've met enough and talked with enough and listened to enough to know that many of them have been, by various circumstances, very, very broken. They've actually lost a lot of what they once had. That can happen spiritually. You can be honed, sharp, ready. And then either subtly over time or suddenly over something going wrong, you you can lose it. You can. And you just retract. Something happens. The excitement and the vision and the purpose suddenly drain away. And you normally spot it. Here's how you normally spot it. When you no longer like making sacrifices. That's, that's normally a sign that that's happened. When you think, oh, I'm, not, I'm not doing that anymore. That's, that's how I spot it in my life. I think, oh, what's, that's, that's, that. my attitude's changed there. Something's going funny. Romans 11.8 says this. God, talking about the Israelites in the Old Testament, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Stupors like a kind of drunken kind of um, sleepiness. Eyes that wouldn't see and ears that wouldn't hear down to this very day. Now, why did God do that? It was judgment on them. Why? For their idolatry. They basically went after other gods all the time. And in the end, God said, okay, you're going to worship things that don't have eyes, don't have ears. I'm going to make you as dull as them. You you become what you worship. So he gave them the spirit of stupor. And I want to finish this message today by really calling us away from idolatry. We're all worshippers. We all worship something. And there's only one who's worthy of our worship. There's only one who's worthy of our worship. And I want to call us away, believing and trusting. Believing and trusting that as we do so, spiritual vigour will return. Readiness will will mark us. We'll be ready, not just, just to hold our ground, but to move, to march through the night, to do what needs to be done. There's a lot of battles we're going to have to fight. In prayer, particularly, I know many of you are praying for the Rileys at the moment. Family we sent out to Poland four years ago to start a church. Recently, Emma Riley gave birth to their fifth child and it's very, very ill. Very ill. It's reached a critical point today. Keep praying. Because they're, they're part of us. They're out, you know, they're out there. They have been alone until the day before baby Flynn was born. The first couple have come out to join them four years in. So there's some support there now. But they need our prayers. They need our love. We need to, they're part of us. Stay, maybe, I don't know, maybe stay up 20 minutes later tonight and have a pray for them. Find a way. But 
Because, well, because we're part of, we're about the same thing. We're marching in time. We're going for Christ and his kingdom. That's what we're about. And so, I want us to be able to just make a quick response. Obviously, the time is against us. We need to finish it in a couple of minutes. But if you just want to say, if you want to say, yeah, Jesus, you know what? I feel like I just want to rediscover some readiness. So I can stand my ground. For some of you, just feel the Holy Spirit speaking now. For some of you, it's a call to study. That there's actually a calling on your life to be able to defend the faith and really know what you think, maybe on a certain issue. God's calling you to do that today so you can stand your ground on it and really be a voice. If you know that's you, can you stand? I'll pray for you. Guys, I want to just bless you for these guys. I want to pray that that there would be a vigor about them, that they would that they would give themselves to what you are putting on their hearts, that they may be able to be equipped, and you would, as they give themselves to the study of your word on issues and subjects and topics, that you would elevate them to a place where they can speak for you. And speak effectively for you. In the name of Jesus, whatever's caused these people to stand, whatever's made them think, yeah, that's me. We just bless what you're doing. In Jesus' name. Bless what you're doing. And we pray for the quickening work of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stay standing. Anyone else who thinks, yeah, I want to just recover readiness. And I want to say that today. You stand where you are. We're going to just pray and then we're done. Reach out to the Lord with your heart and if it helps you with your hands. Thank you for these guys, Lord. Now we're not looking for a magic moment, but we do want to just stand before you and say we want to be ready. We want to be ready to stand and ready to move. We want to be, we want to be on the ball. We want to be sharp. We want to be vigorous. We want to be energetic, enthusiastic and full of vitality. Lord, we want to give ourselves to your purposes, heart, mind, soul and strength. We look at Jesus as our model, a one thing man. He was all about the purposes of God. And we thank you for the richness of his life, Father. We thank you for an attractive life. We thank you that really going for you is a very attractive life. We thank you that it's not restrictive. We thank you, Lord, it is a spacious place. And we pray for just revelation of that to come. And I pray in the name of Jesus, for uh, a, 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 even on an individual level now, for all those that are standing, Lord, that there would just be a deposit of your spirit that would really enable them to rise up freshly and give themselves to your purpose and your kingdom, and to shake off everything that would hinder them. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you.